Hello, and welcome to Objective Health. I am your host today, Erica, and joining me in the studio is Doug, Elliot, Tiff, and behind the scenes is Damien. Welcome all. Hello. Hello. So today we're going to go back into history a little bit and talk about a forgotten topic about children and autism. And we chose this topic today to kind of get out of the realm of what we've been talking about for the last 20 months and move into something that is really disturbing, that has been going on for quite a while, and that probably gets missed by most people because their attention is elsewhere. And um, this article comes from The Hill on December 2nd, and it's a new report from the CDC, that wonderful, glorious institution here in the United <laughs> States that should have been abolished long ago, but is still somehow setting examples and information and affecting the world. And it's um, they just came out with new numbers about autism. And it states nearly one in 40 US children are affected by autism. Uh, new numbers from the CDC, uh, data from 2018. So granted, this was two years ago, but it was uh, published um, by the Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report Surveillance Summaries uh, last uh, Thursday. And it showed that there's a 2.3% of eight-year-old children who were uh, affected by autism. Previous data published in March said only 1.9% of, of eight-year-old children in the U.S. had been diagnosed with autism, but the CDC emphasized the increase in autism diagnosis is come from improvements in identifying children with autism, which, you know, I mean, come on. They please. always <laughs> they use they that always. excuse. They always say that. <laughs> it's like, how long can they keep on saying that? They've been saying that for years now. They've been saying that, yeah. oh, yeah, it's just because uh, we've become more effective at diagnosing autism. We know the signs now. So that's why the number, it's an artificial rise in numbers. There isn't actually any rise in autism cases out there. It's bullshit. It's total bullshit. You can't use that excuse forever. You know, once they improve the diagnos diagnostic techniques, then it's done. It's over. It's improved. So now the numbers should reflect reality. Uh, but yet the numbers are still going up. Right. Yeah. And the director of the CDC's National Center on Birth Defects and Devi Developmental Disabilities said the substantial progress in early identification is good news because the earlier that children are identified with autism, the sooner they can be connected to services and support more. Like you know, the good news. Yeah. Like the good news yeah. is. <sighs> Yeah. Well, how so, many how many kids are in the average classroom these days? Is it still like 20, up to 25? Yeah, 25. Yeah. It, this is in the U.S., you know, okay. again, these are just U.S. Uh, numbers. Yeah. So we don't know worldwide and it would be interesting to do, you know, who will do it. I'm not sure. But, you know, comparing other countries, obviously, if you look at it just in the US, the Amish population, they have like no incidence of autism, or very low incidence of autism. So aside from going into what causes it, we're just going to speculate about some things here. 
um, because, you know, it's a it's an ongoing discussion, but it's been kind of pushed to the back burner over the last two years. And that's why we decided to cover it today, because these kinds of things are still happening. Um, as I've said many times in previous shows, you know, the whole debate around vaccines and autism has been raging since the 90s. And when uh, Dell Bigtree released the documentary Vax, I think it brought the um, topic to a lot wider public. And I think he did a phenomenal job showing the reality of parents dealing with children with autism. And for those that may not be familiar with it, there is a lot of shaming and hate that goes on towards parents that come out um, about this information. And so, you know, From I will other say, parents of autistic kids. No, more just um, people, you know, saying it's not there's no causation. Right. Because mm-hmm. the CDC has continually supported the stance that aut- autism is not caused by um vaccines, you know, so they keep saying it like people are going to believe it. And to kind of go back into a little bit of history, um, we reported on this on SOT many times. Um, One of the senior scientists at the CDC, uh, Dr. William Thompson, actually came out and he was a whistleblower. And he talked about the fraud that was conducted at the CDC when it came to researching children who were developing autistic symptoms after getting the MMR vaccine. And they showed, and this is documented, that it proportionally affected Black boys. And when it came time to publish the information, uh, Dr. Thompson's co-workers and researchers literally threw away and started destroying evidence. And this man had a conscience and decided that he was going to come out and share this information with the wider public. He actually is still employed by the CDC. He was never um, interviewed. He was never allowed to report to Congress about his findings. He's still a senior scientist and he is not allowed to do testimonies in court or media interviews. So I'm not sure what they have on him, why he would continue to work for such an organization that did such despicable things. They probably have him locked in a closet. They got him locked in a closet (laughs) somewhere, I'm sure. It's like, there's a closet you're never allowed to open that has William Thompson in it. Yeah, that is weird, though, that he still works there. Mm-hmm. And he, he, at the very least, wasn't fired or even, you know, suicided. Yeah. And he didn't quit. Yeah. Maybe they give him a super sweet deal. Yeah, uh, what what kind of research projects is he involved in now? <laughs> One more. <Right. laughs> Counting tiles. There's the an also... <laughs> There's also another um, article. This was March 2020, which, you know, for those paying attention, March 2020 is when, you know, the whole world was turned upside down because of the cold and flu. But in March 2020, there was an article from Eureka Alert. Is that how you say it? Eureka Alert. Mm -hmm. U.S. autism rates up 10% in new CDC report. And um, Damien, if you want to put that up there, you can scroll down to the actual um 
report that shows the surveillance of data uh, reported in previous years. So for those that may be listening and not watching, starting in 2000, um, what is it? One in, one in 150 children in 2007 report based on 2000 and 2002 data. So in a two-year period, there was one in 150 children that had autism, and it is a spectrum. So there's, you know, obviously more severe at the end of the spectrum. And then now um, one in 59 as um, reported based on 2014 data. So now we're going into probably, I don't even know if they're even still looking at this, if they just decided not to look at it anymore. No, they do. That's where the one in 40 number comes from. The latest report. Yeah. So the the reports are basically, yeah, but, but, but starting in like from looking at data from 2000 and 2002, it was 150 children. Then the next uh, one was from 2006. It was 110 children. From 2008, it was 88 children. From 2010, 68 children. 68 children again in 2012. Then another jump in 2014 was 59 children. The latest one is for 2018. And that one is 1 in 40. 40 children. So we're looking at over the course of what is that? Say from 2002 to the present, so that's almost 20 years. Uh, it went from a 1 in 150 children to 1 in 40. And they're going to tell you that that's because of better diagnostic methods. Not a mm-hmm. chance. Not a chance. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's many a doctor now, probably hundreds, um, who have basically come out and said that, you know, particularly the, the elderly doctors, um, say they did their training in the 50s, in the 60s, uh, they would not see autism. Autism was considered a very rare condition. A rare condition. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, they have also said that they don't think that that has anything to do with diagnostics. Uh, I think it's pretty clear now that it, 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 it's, a, it's a relatively new, new phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Like something is making kids autistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's, not, that's, not, um, that's not a fringe thing to say. I mean, that's kind of pretty well established in the research literature as well now. Um, so it's, 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 it's a stupid, uh, and, and nonsensical, uh, position to take, to mm-hmm. think that kids are not becoming more autistic. I mean, it was St- Dr. Stephanie Seneff, who I think it was eight, eight, nine years ago. Now she published a paper where she, uh, theorized that by, I think it was 2030, it would be one in 20 children. And so look, looking back compared to the statistics, at the time when she had made that prediction, uh, we're fairly on track to, you know, if it continues as it does over the next decade or so, um, you know, you could be realistically looking at one in 20 children. It's not that far off to have one in 40. I think at the time that she made a prediction, it was one in 100. Mm -hmm. So they keep lowering it every single time. I think even the last time that we did a, a show on autism, which must have been what, four years or three years ago or something. Uh, I can't remember the last time we've spoken about it on the show, but we have done one. Um, and I think even, even back then the statistics were, were, were much higher. So, so yeah, they keep, they keep bringing the numbers down. That's for sure. Yeah. 
Well, it's interesting. You're talking about the the doctors saying that they didn't used to see this. I'm just thinking myself, like, you know, one in 40 kids. When I was in grade school, we probably had, what, like 300 kids at the school or something like that. So one in 40, you'd be looking at, oh, do some quick math here. What, like six kids at this school who would have like autism? Eight. Seven eight. to eight. Seven or eight kids at the school. I didn't have any kids at my school who had autism. You know? Right. It's like you didn't, didn't either. You didn't used to see this. You didn't. It's not because of diagnosis. Unless they called it something else. I didn't even have autism. any kids who seemed like I mean, they were autistic. They were the special ed kids and the special education classes, but they weren't mm. necessarily autistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not with those defining symptoms right. of, you know, lack of communication seems to be, you know, the one that really is so hard for families, you know, to have a child that is nonverbal, completely Mm -hmm. nonverbal, you know? So, I mean, I worked in the school system in 2007 and we had maybe in, like you're saying, Doug, in a school of 300, we had maybe two certified autistic children, Mm. maybe, you know? So the, the, you know, the discussion has been put aside because of the new, you know, crazy pandemic, but the numbers are continually going up. And what's interesting about this is that people look to the CDC for, you know, these numbers and this information. And um, back in 2019, Dell Bigtree and ICANN sued the CDC uh, under Freedom of Information Act to remove false information from their website, which was basically vaccines do not cause autism and asked for studies citing and showing, you know, this relationship like, okay, so if you've got all these studies on the MMR in particular, based on Thompson's release of information, then you should be able to provide us with studies that you can prove that vaccines do not cause autism. Well, they couldn't, right? So, you know, it's just crazy that that they can continue to claim these things and put it on a website. And, you know, in this whole climate of fake news and all this, that um, the CDC can continue to produce fake news. Mm -hmm. So they asked to to be removed and um, until you have studies that can support the claim. And, um, but then Doug, share with what you just said today, because I didn't know this. Yeah. Well, the thing is that they did take it down, but it was kind of, it was very quietly in August, August of 2020, they removed that section from their website that said vaccines do not cause autism. But, uh, recently, and I don't know exactly when they put it back up. Um, maybe I can, uh, send the link to Damien here. And he can bring it up here. But uh, yeah, no longer is it not there. It is there for all to see. Right, Second point on the page, vaccines do not cause autism. And they provide two studies, but I think that those were the studies that ICANN actually said, well, these studies don't show this. You know, right. you, can, you can link to these studies all you want, but it doesn't. Yeah, here it is. Second head, head, heading there, vaccines do not cause autism. And basically, like, you know, I guess what they're counting on is that everybody who's reading this page isn't going to be scientifically literate enough to be able to understand a study. Um, 
So they provide a study and then people kind of see, oh, well, there's a study right there. That study shows that vaccines do not cause autism. But the studies, as ICANN pointed out, those studies do not show that. Um, right. they, they were, for the most part, unrelated, actually. And so you wonder why this new approach, I'm thinking, again, this is just me, that maybe more people are actually going to the CDC website now because they're so much a part, especially in the U.S., like CDC says you have to wear your mask, CDC says, so people are actually going to the site and um maybe who knows i don't know i mean for for those that uh are interested in robert f kennedy's new book uh about fauci he talks extensively and he has previously before about the fact that the cdc should have been disbanded in the 80s when Mm. president reagan was president because they don't do anything. You know, they are a military funded, a lot of military funding for pandemics, epidemics, but that that they're that they're really pretty much useless. You know what I mean? That they don't we don't have smallpox anymore, you know, and so they should just be eliminated. And so, uh, you know, obviously they fought long and hard and hence became the mass push for childhood vaccinations and to follow CDC guidelines about getting said vaccinations for children, which are up to like 64. So I'm not here to say autism is caused by vaccines. What I'm saying is that there's so many sketchy shenanigans behind Mm. what these people do that any parent rightly should be concerned about taking advice on your child's health from an organization such as the CDC. I will, unlike you, Erica, I will go out on a limb here and say that I think that certainly in some cases, vaccines cause autism. I think there's enough evidence now that has come in um, to show. I don't think that every case of autism is caused by vaccines. And I don't think that everybody who gets a vaccine, obviously, they don't get autism. But there's a connection there. There's no question about it. There is like numerous experts have come forward and said, yeah, in some situations. And in fact, now they'll even, you know, they've even got um, a little bit more information about the causation there. And a lot of uh, them I'm seeing are saying things like children who have uh, mitochondrial dysfunction may be injured by vaccines in such a way. Um, And this is childhood vaccines as well. I'm not talking about like COVID vaccines because uh, we haven't had enough time to see if those cause autism yet. But um, the childhood vaccinations, they uh, in in children who have mitochondrial dysfunction may cause autism as uh, as a side effect. I don't know. um, There might be other reasons, but I think it's it's pretty, pretty safe to say at this point. Well, maybe safe to say is the wrong term, but um, unsafe to say, but probably true that uh, in some cases, vaccines are causing autism. Yeah. Yeah, without think- a doubt. I've spoken to, you know, I've consulted with numerous, numerous parents for their children kind of uh, nutritional protocols and stuff. And uh, you would be amazed at the amount of parents who say it was, you know, within weeks of the vaccine, the child lost, lost, uh, lost verbalization. They started to regress developmentally. I mean, I used to work in a, in a, uh, in a, like a special needs educational school. Um, And there were, it was surprising how many, how many parents were kind of open about it and said, 
well, it was it was after they got their first round of shots that they started to, you know, they were uh, developmentally normal and progressing normally. And then all of a sudden they got their shots and they regressed. It's like the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Um, and the CDC, although they can, uh, they can admit that it might be applicable in certain cases, I think it's probably more the rule than it is the exception. You know, um, because there's there's a pattern that that is that is fairly consistent among most um, autistic children, and it tends to be after the vaccines. Now, that's not the only cause of autism, but without doubt, uh, it's certainly a contributing factor in in many. Yeah, yeah, I think it's like a perfect storm, like you were talking about, Elliot Stephanie Senoff, like the whole glyphosate injury to the gut. I think you know that it's a perfect storm in certain children and uh, the child's ability to detoxify heavy metals and all of it, you know, and obviously there's just not a lot of, um, you know, research being done by people like the CDC. They're more Mm -hmm. busy just covering things up or making really stupid claims like vaccine ingredients don't cause autism. (laughs) You know, they made this huge thing like, well, you know, we're taking thimerosal out of the vaccines because that was what was in MMR, but then they don't address, you know, aluminum or um, other adjuvants that are in the vaccine or the fact that they're giving them massive amounts of these chemicals in one treatment, you know, so. And who was the girl, I guess her father was a neurologist and she got six shots. Yeah. Pauline. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of the breaker of the case. Uh, the last name was Pauline P-A-U-L-I-N-G. Yeah. And he was, you're right, Tiffany. I mean, he was like, there's no way. I mean, this is obviously caused. And I think that was one of the cases, I don't know, I don't have it in front of me, that actually they had to pay out the vaccine injury, had to pay out because, I mean, but how many parents are a medical doctor that can prove that and go through the tumultuous court proceedings while dealing with a child with autism? You know, I mean, they're saying now it's over a million dollars just in support fees for one autistic child, you know, just to have, depending on the the severity of the autism, uh, just for special accommodations, you know, and the fact that it's not something that children will grow out of when they're 20 years old. This is a lifelong debilitating illness, you know? Yeah. So it's basically just gaslighting by the, by the CDC you know it's Mm -hmm. just like telling parents that the connection that they see that is obvious to them is not true you know and they should seek therapy yeah that's what they're they tell to seek therapy yeah yeah oh and so some of the other articles that we had for this show. Well, as always, Dr. Mercola, October, 2020, new study shows significant link between mercury and autism. So again, not just mercury from the vaccines, but environmental toxins, Mm -hmm. copper, lead. But again, you know, for those of us that grew up 
me, Doug and uh, Tiffany, you know, when we still had lead in the gasoline, Mm -hmm. uh, we still had lead paint in our homes. You know, we weren't seeing the degree of autism that we see now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely something to be said for having it injected directly into your veins. Um, Not lead, but mercury, um, Mm -hmm. aluminum, these kinds of things. And um, that Mercola article, which people can actually find on SOT.net, is called New Study Shows Significant Link Between Mercury and Autism. Uh, Originally on Mercola's site, but his articles all disappear after 48 hours. They have a... A video on there that's interesting. It's called How Mercury Kills the Brain. And in that video, they actually show um, just, you know, it's it's footage that people probably have seen before, or at least I had seen it before, um, where they're actually, they have um, neurons from a snail brain, actually, that they've um, uh, got in a Petri dish, and they add mercury um, into the petri dish, and you just see the neurons just completely curling up, like shriveling up and uh, and disappearing essentially. Um, but they, yeah, it's it's really something to see. Um, in that video, I can see Damien's kind of playing it there. You might be able to see it. Um, but they they talk about the mechanism by which the mercury actually kills off uh, the neurons. And it's basically just the the mercury kind of binds to a component of the neuron that makes it completely dissipate. So, yeah, I mean, it's not hard to see a connection there, you know. Um, is it only the mercury that does it? Is it the mercury that does it at all? I mean, it, obviously, it would be causing some kind of brain damage if you had um, a, a serious amount of mercury in your brain. Um, but, yeah, is it the, the only thing? I don't know, but it's certainly quite telling and it wouldn't surprise me at all if that thimerosal was see there you see them shrinking mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean if you look at the literature i've, I've spent uh, tens probably hundreds of hours looking at the research on uh you know autism the kind of pathophysiology of autism and it's it's there's there's a lot of the downstream effects of what you would see from something like heavy metals cause the the overall clinical or the or the let's say the etiological picture that the stuff that is wrong with the autistic brain uh all of that can be at least tied back mechanistically upstream to the effects of some kind of a heavy metal right so whether that be lead mercury aluminium all the combinations so the was a study um, which was published maybe three or four years ago, which was actually demonstrating that it's not just mercury, but the combination of mercury and aluminium um, were shown to essentially be causative um, because Mm -hmm. this this combined effect that that it was having in the way that cells are are working in the the kind of defenses in the brain. I mean, in very simple terms, in the autistic brain, you've got – much lower levels of, of reduced glutathione. So glutathione being like an antioxidant. Okay. And you have much higher levels of, of, uh, of reactive oxygen species. You have much higher levels of certain hormones. You have much lower levels of certain neurochemicals. You have a lot of uh, neuroinflammation. So you, so you have like this state of underlying permeability of the brain barrier. What this means is, is that oftentimes you know, with, with, with the average person, the brain is, is designed to, to keep um, things out of the brain. It's designed to say, no, you're not going to be coming in. But the problem is with the autistic brain, 
when you have this blood-brain barrier permeability, which can be caused by something like uh, oxidative stress generated by mercury, generated by aluminium, generated by lead, basically what you end up with is you end up with a flood of like junk, which is present in the bloodstream, which might be coming in from the gut. Oftentimes these kids have intestinal permeability as well, but essentially you have a lot of this junk that's not meant to get into the brain, getting into the brain. And so as that stuff enters into the brain, you have this increase in this neuroinflammatory process. And while the brain is inflamed, while the immune system is turned on, then you're having these, these immune cells, which are essentially attacking parts of the brain. So it's kind of like the immune system is, is, is very much involved in, in, in the clinical picture of autism. Um, you've got energy metabolism. The brains just cannot simply generate energy in, 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 a, in an efficient, clean way as the average person can. So their, their, their cells are not having uh, the, the right kind of material to build things, to get rid of things. Um, it, it's just, it's, 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 it's a mess what happens in autism it is a mess what what goes on in the brain um and there's usually a cause for that you know these kids oftentimes they're not born autistic it's an environmental disease now you've got stephanie senef whose theories on autism stem back to glyphosate but many times the 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 combination of glyphosate is is like a double whammy with the effect of heavy metals. I would say that it's probably a combination of both of them. And there's probably numerous other kind of environmental chemicals that can cause this as well. But the fact that um, they say that autism is not a, a, a disease that can be cured. Well, first of all, that's not true. But what they're also trying to do is they're trying to normalize it. So right. they do, I think to some extent, they have widened the criteria somewhat. And you've got people who, who probably aren't autistic who are starting to identify as autistic, mm. you know, because it's like a it's it's like a novel thing. It's their part of their identity, you know, they are identify as ADHD, they identify as autistic. Yeah, they might be a bit eccentric, but they're not clinically autistic. But it's it's becoming more of a, a, a um, you know, people are, are being shamed for calling autism a disease kind of thing. We're, we're, we're moving away from discrimination by calling it disease towards accepting it as like a normal part of reality, when in fact it's not. It is a disease. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pathological condition of the brain, and it can be cured as well. And the fact that people can cure it, and there's numerous ways that parents and doctors and, and other kind of therapists and things have, have cured autism because it is a curable condition in most cases if you get it early enough. And if it's, if it's kind of depending on the severity and, and, and level of permanent brain damage, and it kind of demonstrates that there's, 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 there's a there's a primary cause. It's not genetic. It might be a, mm -hmm. an interplay of genetics, kind of like epigenetics. So the environment uh, determining what genes are expect, uh, expressed and what genes aren't expressed. But overall, at its most fundamental level, it seems to be there is some kind of a toxic event that occurs and that can be an infection. That can be uh, you know, heavy metals. It could be glyphosate. It could be poor food. It could be deficiencies. Any number of those kinds of things, um, which essentially produce this state of chronic neuroinflammation in the in the autistic brain and all of the things that come kind of after that um if they are addressed correctly then uh there's 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 many kids who who do achieve remission from it and it can take a while um but one of those sorry i've gone a little bit off track but one of those therapeutic modalities is using heavy metal detoxification looking specifically at mercury looking specifically at aluminium at lead Oftentimes, if you do look at the research literature, 
there is a common finding, and this is something that McCullough spoke about in the article, but this is something that has been demonstrated in numerous research papers, is that in autism, uh, there are higher levels of the toxic metals, high levels of lead, high levels of mercury, aluminium, cadmium, arsenic. Um, you name it, they're there usually, uh, whether that's in the hair, in the blood, or in the urine. Okay. And so therapies which have been designed to support the excretion of these heavy metals can produce clinical remission in autism. Oh, so what does that tell us? Well, first of all, we say, well, how do these kids get exposed to heavy metals in the first place? You know, if you're dealing with like a two or three year old child and they've got a very high level of mercury, it's like, well, how, how have they come into contact with this much mercury? You know, ordinarily, you know, these, there's, there's, these things are cumulative. What I'm trying to say, heavy metal exposure is cumulative. So usually if you test someone who's in their sixties, they're going to have much higher levels than someone in their twenties. Now, of course there is contamination in baby food and contamination in pesticides and other kinds of food products, but really the vaccines are going to be the primary route of exposure for children in this day and age. I mean, how many vaccines are there? There's like 60 vaccines that you get before you're the age of four years old. It's something stupid like that. And half of them have, um, heavy metal adjuvants in them. And so that's going to be one of the primary mechanisms by which heavy metal is going to get into the brain. And then if heavy metals are in the brain and you get this kind of like disturbed or deranged kind of immune response in the brain and, and, and deranged immune, uh, brain metabolism, then they lose the ability to start excreting other metals and stuff that they're coming into con contact with. So what you get is uh, a situation where when a normal child would be able to kind of conjugate this toxic stuff and carry it out, the autistic child can't, and they start to hold onto it and accumulate it. And so basically the fact that there are therapies which are designed to get this stuff out and they work demonstrates that, you know, it's causative, at least in some cases, yeah. that's yeah. what I'm trying to say. Long story short of it. Um, so it's, it's an abomination that, uh, that this is kind of been labeled as, as anyone who tries to make this connection is labeled as a conspiracy theorist and a nut. Um, and it's so disempowering for parents as well, because many times they, they are left in the lurch. They have to do 100% of the work because their doctors know absolutely nothing about this. Mm. Um, and they will oftentimes disencourage it um, or discourage it. So yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, of really, uh, you know, great parents out there who've done, have done wonders for their kids who've, who've, achieved, who've, who've been given these diagnoses. And I think that's a great explanation, Elliot, how you laid it out there for people yeah. to understand, because there is, you know, we're getting towards the end of our time. There is things that parents can do. And, you know, back to the article we started with in the very beginning, yes, early detection is kind of key. And, you know, this whole vaccine paradigm that we're living in currently, I think, is on parents' minds now. Like I've said before, this topic, you know, a lot of people stayed away from it. But now in the world that we live in today, like parents are concerned. It's one in 48. Is that where we're at now? You know, I mean, parents are concerned. And it really the CDC should do just what you talked about, Elliot, alternatives, how people can help children, whatever, dietary supplements, anything, but they don't. They just continue to report the numbers and not do what's needed. 
to help parents and children recover and and, and really address it. So again, it's an ongoing discussion. There are so many different nuances to it, but we just wanted to bring it up because, you know, these stories come out and people don't read them because they're being distracted by other things. So we hope to, you know, our idea is to bring objective information as much as possible to you all. So I thank my hosts for joining me today and Damien in the background for doing all the great technical support. And uh, we will uh, be here again next week with another topic. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.